0: We're lucky to have an amazing guest tonight. Uh, Carol brings over uh, 25 years of experience in marketing and sales, Uh, but it's not the years, it's the company and the marketing machines that she's helped build. She's the CMO of Rapid7. You know them here in Boston, public company. She's the CMO at LogMeIn. They went public. She was a CMO at Unica Corporation. They went public and got acquired by IBM. Uh, And if you go, I was trying to do some research before this. If you go to her LinkedIn profile, you actually can't get to the bottom of it because she's on so many boards and does so many things uh, outside of the community. I was like, did she work there invest? I don't understand, but uh, it's amazing. It's amazing. She's a rock star, thank you. Um, You know, the reason why I'm super excited to have her here is this line that I found in the press release. Um, You might have even wrote, hopefully you didn't write this, but. Uh, this is a line from the press release when uh, Carol joined Rapid 7 in 2011. Myers brings in extensive marketing and sales expertise and proven success in driving technology 's company to growth, including delivering more than 1.5 billion in market value for investors through these three IPOs. where's DC? Is billion good? <laughs> <laughs> billion is pretty good. <laughs> billion is pretty good. Um, so all I know is there 's a B in billion. We are so lucky to have Carol here tonight. Please give it up for Carol Myers. We just spent the last like hour talking. I wish we we could have just recorded it and we then should. you and I could have gone to dinner or something and just played it for everybody. Um, there's should so many
1: avatars here. There's
0: there's so many different things to talk about, but we figured we would just get right into politics. Would be the best place for <laughs> you and I to start tonight, um, if that's if that's okay. Um, no, but actually I do have a serious question. So when, when I, I was talking to Mike Volpe when we said we we're going to have you and do this, and he's like, make sure you ask her about the party in Vegas. Yeah. So I think there's no better ice okay. I don't even know what that is. <laughs> like, it could be nothing, but I need yeah. to know. Yeah,
1: okay. <laughs> so the party in Vegas. Well, what happens in Vegas? Yeah. <laughs> I, okay, so I
0: can't, you tell,
1: you. I can't tell, tell you. You know those security companies. They go no, to so Vegas. Can... <laughs> so there is a big security. So we're a security company, and the big event for people who dabble in security, and in fact, that's the biggest event because it's where the people who are known as white hat hackers go, so the people who try to break into your network for uh, good purposes, all convene in Las Vegas, usually at the end of July, beginning of August. And we have the biggest, baddest party in Vegas. And we rent out the top clubs like Hakkasan or um, Excess over at the Wynn. And we have four to 5,000 of our friends attend. It's a complete open bar. We were talking about, I think <laughs> the team here with Amy, about top shelf liquor. And there is some of that flowing and champagne. And you know it's a, it's a fabulous event. What can I tell you? It's so popular that um, there is a company that monitors network traffic all the time. And one of the things they always tell us is that leading up to our party, the, uh, 80% of the traffic talking about the Black Hat event is about the Rapid7 party, where it is, and how to get a pass. Love so it. it's really fun. I love
0: it. I love it. How, but Kara, how do you measure the ROI oh, of that
1: party? ROI. Oh, ROI. <laughs> um, we measure ROI. How are we possibly going to measure ask the ROI everyone, Did you have tonight? a good time? And if they say yes, we're, <laughs> we're really happy. No, um, we keep track of everybody who comes, and we do measure the growth of relationships over time and do people ultimately buy products from us and all of those good kinds of things. So the party does more than pay for itself, maybe five or six times um, for sure.
0: That's awesome. All right, so uh, there's so many, there's so many things, and uh, we're we're gonna open this up to Q and A. Uh, so you know, think of that's why we gave you all notebooks. Like it's not often to, to get to sit up here and, and talk to somebody with experience like Carol. So definitely use those notebooks. Get some questions for later. But I want to start start earlier in your career because you weren't a marketer from the beginning. You you were product manager, whatever that means. Uh, <laughs> And you're part of the Lotus Mafia back in the day, right? Well, how did you? Uh, how yeah. did you? Where did, What? What happened like after school to get you to Lotus and, and start there?
1: Oh, well, I actually started in finance of all things. I was a bean counter, and I uh, the reason I got into sales and marketing is I was the bean counter for the head of sales, marketing, and support at Lotus, which. For a lot of people in this room, you probably have never heard of one, two, three, but it is what really made spreadsheets. Excel was like nothing back then. So uh, so that's how I ended up, and I just worked on their budgets for them, and did analysis, and somehow, As anybody in their career knows, as people you report to move on and get promoted, they sometimes take you with them. So I started following people around, and one day I said, you know, I don't really want to just measure this stuff. I would like to do it. So I was given an opportunity to do a little bit of it, and that's how I made the switch over.
0: I was trying to figure out what your story is. Like, some people like marketing since day one, right? You had finance... Then you were a VP of sales, then you're a VP of marketing. So after after like you what what happened in the five years that you were at Lotus that actually led to your next thing, which is VP of sales at Shiva? At
1: yeah. Hmm. So I didn't really do that much marketing at Lotus, if I'm really honest. Just counting. A little a bit. Of, a I was like a counting. product marketer for a little while and a product, maybe for six months or so. So I went to another company called Shiva, which was a pre-IPO company, and we took that to IPO. And I started working there in something called sales operations. And somehow I made my way to the head of sales for the company. We were about $200 million or so in revenue, and I had a really large team of enterprise and inside sales sellers and systems engineers. And it just happens by being around at the right place at the right time and saying yes when someone taps you on the shoulders and says, would you go do this job? <laughs> I say, okay, I'll go do that job.
0: So you got in sales?
1: So I got into sales. And then Doesn't marketing.
0: every salesperson think they can do marketing? Every marketing person thinks they can do sales? Yes, it's a perfect so that's fit, how right? it
1: happened. <laughs> After I was done uh, with Shiva, we were public, and we sold the company to intel, and I figured out a way to take the summer off, which was really fun. And then when I was thinking about what I wanted to do next, I decided, you know, I don't think I want to do sales anymore. I think I want to be a CMO. So I um, interviewed at a couple companies, and because we all think we can do marketing, I convinced someone I could, and that's how I got the job of uh, head of marketing. And the truth of the matter is, I'd never run an event. I'd never really done a a marketing campaign. And I stepped into that role and said, I can do this. And that's what happened. You, you, you use your,
0: you use what you learned in sales to swindle your way into marketing. Right.
1: Well, sales should be partnering with marketing a lot. Yeah. So because I partnered really closely with the marketing team and we worked on everything together, I really felt like I did understand what I needed to do pretty well.
0: So I think like probably outside of, um, Outside of Rapid7 today, do you think that the, the thing that most people know is, is the LogMeIn story or, or no? No, because
1: that was brief. Um, really, probably Unica, because that started from zero revenue to about $125 and an IPO and an acquisition by IBM. And, and I was there a good eight years growing that.
0: <laughs> so were, were you at Unica at zero? Yes. And then what, what happened?
1: We grew to 125 million.
0: <laughs> but like un un like unpack that a little bit. Like yeah. you know, and, and I'm just interested, like marketing today is different than marketing was then. Like so what Very what was so. like what was your mix? Like there's a lot of marketers. Yeah. In the room. Like what 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 were, what were the things that you were doing then? Like how did you get from zero to one to ten to
1: Well, the fun thing about marketing and especially at if you go into a really tiny company, what you need to do constantly changes, right? Because you don't have any money and nobody knows who you are and so you have to get somewhere so at unica which was um different for me too because it was enterprise software like our average deal size was five hundred thousand dollars with services on top of that um so there i really focused on industry analysts which everybody knows and loves <laughs> and uh getting their attention by Actually, doing what we today call account-based marketing, and figuring out like who really needs this software and is going to pay half a million dollars, um, and go directly at them with you know campaigns and calling them. And winning companies like Land's End and Bank of Montreal, and really focusing on making sure they would be advocates for us. So even though we were a tiny company, people would come up to me and say, you guys have like 4,000 employees, right? I'm like, well, we're approaching 4,000 employees after we hit 40. We might might get there. Um, Because we had such great customer names who were really excited about our software. And then it changes over time, and you have to do a lot bigger mass marketing type things. And social was... Just getting started, so we did a lot of email, started blogs, you, you did know, things like that in the like early days. Like you had a days. company,
0: you had a company blog.
1: We had a company blog. We you know we started to do some social stuff way back in the day, but it was early. It was early days yeah. back then.
0: What one of the things that we we think about a lot and talk about. I know you're like you said ABM for that reason is like what's. Uh, You know, the old stuff is new again, right? And it keeps coming back around. Like, how much of what was core that worked for you in marketing then do you still see, like, is still applicable today? Like,
1: is it the same? You know, it's probably less that the thing that's evergreen is having to know your customer, right? What they care about, why does your solution, whatever it is you have, people, solution, services, like, why are they going to care about this thing? What's going to be better about what you're doing? How are you going to solve their challenges? Why should they spend any time even thinking about you? Because when you think about it, one of the biggest challenges that we have is, even though you say, I know they have that problem and they need to solve it, they have a lot of problems. And so there were, you know, we as buyers and consumers of things are always trying to figure out what is the most important problem for me to spend my time on right now? So there's a lot of convincing you have to do. So I think the evergreen things are really trying to understand the customer and why you have anything to offer to them, and then you can use the right tactics to get that out there.
0: What What's been the biggest thing that like that has changed over the course of the, the you know four, four companies for IPOs? Like, do are there people that were on your marketing teams at one of those earlier companies that? probably couldn't do what they what you need somebody to do today.
1: Um uh, well, I think anybody can learn anything. So I would say if they really wanted to learn something new, they could and I still work with one of my event marketers. <laughs> <laughs> from back in the days of Shiva, and she's amazing, and she does unbelievable things for us, and so I've known her for a very, very, really long time, so I think people can learn things, but you always have to have a mix of new skills, new ideas on a team, so I think that's really important.
0: We had an interesting conversation about like skills and, and hiring. I thought some of that was, was worth <laughs> sharing with everybody here. So you, we were talking about you interviewing, right? You want to be involved in all the interviews, all the hires that you make today. So, how many people are on your team?
1: Not that many. Not that Maybe many. Maybe fifty.
0: Fifty, <laughs> but 50, 50 yeah. person marketing team is is it's a, not bad. Not bad. It's not bad. They could do some things. <laughs> uh, but you don't always get to the chance because because you have a crazy schedule. But like you want to be involved in all those hires.
1: Yes. Why? Yeah. Because why? Why does that,
0: like, do, you, do you trust your yeah, team? Just let I
1: really, it? I truly believe there's nothing more important that you can ever do as a leader uh, other than to hire great people. Um, Because the only thing that really makes companies work is fabulous people. And they have to be great at what they do. They have to be able to work with the people around them and create really good energy. And so I'm always looking for those things in everyone we hire. And interviews can be tricky. People can convince you (laughs) that they might be able to meet all that criteria. And the other thing that happens is, it's really hard to hire in Boston and so jobs stay open for a long time and every once in a while a hiring manager gets kind of tired mm-hmm. and they meet someone and they're like mm. they know they're not the right person but they're super tired and they're like well, yeah uh, maybe <laughs> maybe it'll work so every once in a while you need someone else to come in and be like nope we need to wait I so, know it's painful
0: but if you if you have something like that on your team do you take the pressure off of your of the hiring managers on your team and say like if the rec can be open as long as it needs to be open, or are you yes. are you saying we gotta fill this role, we gotta fill this role.
1: No, never. Never fill the role till we find the right person.
0: We were talking a little bit about you, you found it. A- I don't know if this is a new, you've done a bunch of them, but like, you, there's more of, you have more of a data-driven approach to hiring now, thanks to some personality tests. I would yes. love to, to, <laughs> to, to talk more about that.
1: Oh, the PI, so predictive index, yep. which you guys are using a little bit. Yep. Um, and there's like a billion different tests you can use. But it tells you some things about people. And if you know what you need in a role and a few things about your team, um, it can really help you get past some of what does, you might miss. Does
0: anybody miss. in here use personality tests in hiring today? Yeah seven people what would so
1: there's no bad personality they're all good <laughs> they just might not fit the role <laughs> uh... Okay, so
0: Dave, you know Dave we think you're great uh, we don't love your personality for this role but
1: you'd think it because it's not about whether you're a nice person it's um it's things like how assertive are you are you more people oriented or task oriented do you have a strong sense of urgency or a strong sense of Patience? Are are you very formal or do you like to kind of play with the rules a little bit? And um, those can be different, you can have different needs. How detail-oriented is somebody right. can make a big difference.
0: And would you would you use a personality test to like make a yes or no decision on a on a hire?
1: So I've rarely said no, but I will usually use it to um, ask the hiring manager to really Dig rethink. Because we've profiled our entire team, and we have a super high sense of urgency. So, like 85 90% of the people on the team have a super high sense of urgency. So it's really hard for someone who doesn't have that to join our team and end up being successful.
0: Um, I have so many things I want to ask you. I don't even know. Um,
1: <laughs>
0: like, I literally have pages of freaking notes. It does have notes. pages. Yeah. And we, uh, so, so outside, like, you've done four, you know, four IPOs. You're on, you're on a bunch of boards for early, earlier stage companies. And I think most of the people in the room are probably like, just by guess, by companies in Boston, like probably not at the public companies, probably somewhere in the middle. They, they want you on the board probably to talk about marketing, right, and yeah. sales. Yeah. What are the biggest mistakes that you see those companies make over, over and over that you sit in all those board meetings or you get the company updates and you see the same things over and over? there
1: has um, got to be a couple. Yeah, you know, one is and I'm a I'm an extreme optimist and I really like uh growth. And so I'm always like trying to have a higher number. I One time when I was running sales, I had a salesperson come in and complain about their quota. And then after they left, they said, I left that meeting thinking, what's the matter with me? I should ask for more quota. And I thought, mm, might, might be. Maybe I'm spinning a little out of control. <laughs> um, so I really like growth. I should ask
0: for more quota.
1: Because <laughs> <laughs> I, should, I should be able to do more. I really like growth. But um, what I see a lot of companies do is put up huge numbers that they think they're going to hit. And when you ask them, like, well, here's where you are today, and here's your marketing metrics and sales metrics, right? We all know our funnel. And I don't see you know, how you get to that number. Like, what is it about the process that you have right now that you can just pour gasoline on and have more come out the other end? And um, often, that's where the plans fall down a little bit.
0: Because there's a number, but there's not actually a plan to get there. There's
1: not really a plan to get there. So there's a lot of hope.
0: Do, do you just say, like, do you, are you just like, good luck to you? Or, like, are you able to, like, come in and say, like, most people, here's where I would start. Like, for here's your big goal, but you need to start here. Like, do you have a progression for most of them?
1: Yeah, so I usually ask them to go back and do some homework on how are we going to, let's let's look at, let's really break down, like, what are the things? And, you know, if I give you another $5 million, how, how are you going to spend that and how are you really going to get there? And very often, then, people will, um, sometimes they're like, okay, okay, because board members don't we don't, we're not operators. We don't get to tell people what to do. But I usually find by the next board meeting, they are telling us that they aren't really going to meet that original plan, and they're revising it.
0: Okay. <laughs> All right. So, well, we, we've talked. We not had it. The
1: boards I'm currently on.
0: <laughs> good. Good. What is, uh, what's the biggest, I, I didn't talk to you about this one before, so I'm hoping you'll answer it. But. That's Okay. Um, oh, it is okay. Yeah, well, you, I have some you others. You did ask me anything. I have right? page Didn't I two. Say that? <laughs> you did say that. You did say that. What What's the biggest mistake? Like, what's the biggest thing you, you screwed up? Um, oh. There's got to be There's got to be something that you have approved that oh. you know, direct mail with the wrong phone number on it, or like.
1: Oh yeah, those things happen all the time. Those are like little mistakes, right? Those aren't the really big things. I, you know, I don't, can't think of, I mean, we've tried so many things from a marketing perspective that haven't worked, yeah. right? Uh, it hasn't been really big money. I think if we've run some contests that have bombed, um, you know, thinking, this will be great. You know, everyone's going to go crazy and social media is going to light on fire. And it doesn't. Mm. Um, social media, you guys do really well. But there's, a, you know, you never know. Some of them go fabulously and some of them really don't. Um, Usually, big mistakes are less about things that you did, and I think probably more about things that you didn't mm. do.
0: You tweet that. That was that was good. <laughs> Write that. Tweet that one at Carol J. Myers. Right. That's what it is. Um,
1: yeah. Opportunities yeah. you didn't take. Um, things you didn't say in a meeting that you really should have said. Like those are the things that. How I do you think
0: like, can like? But how time. do you how do you bring that to your how do you bring that to your team? Like you're you have typically run marketing at public companies, right? Which means that, like, not that, not that you can afford to miss a goal at a private company, but it's a little bit different if the if the volume isn't there or the the revenue number isn't there for a public company. Like, you actually can't miss. Right. Um, how do you have culture and teams that are willing to experiment? Yes. Knowing that you can't really fuck it up.
1: Like. Yeah, but you know, it once you're a really big company, it's. You have to do something really big yeah. to screw it up. So um, we just try to do experiments all the time. And usually what will happen is sometimes people will propose something that I, you know, my first reaction might be, oh, are you kidding me? That will never work. But I try to hold that in and uh, suspend disbelief on everything because I just think the most important thing I know is I really don't know everything. And things I've done in the past that have worked don't always work at a new company and a new market. So I usually think about, well, okay, what's the biggest risk that could happen if we spend this money and it doesn't work? Probably nothing really bad. Go ahead and try it. Let's come back and talk about how it went. And sometimes people really surprise me with things that I thought, there's no way that's going to work. And they, they work beautifully.
0: How, how does how does somebody have to pitch you? Are you the final approver on some, some bigger ideas? Like, yeah. what I have to walk into your office with slides and like, and pitch you, I like, don't
1: need slides. You don't need slides. No, it's usually a conversation. I'm looking like to think about have they thought about um, why they want to do it, why it's good for a market, what's the impact going to be, what might go wrong, and just have a conversation. And we said we have a sense of urgency, so that can be a drive by, but um, we also sometimes hold an annual, we call it, you know, uh, the marketing innovation Challenge and people get a pool of money and they come pitch their ideas as well. But I like to have ideas flowing all the time. That's just kind of one big have, thing. Have you we had do.
0: something really good come out of that? Had
1: have, um, have we had something oh. really? So we did. We have a we have a great program that we're doing now that our customers really love. That is around advocacy, and that's worked really well in terms of getting a lot more social media and positive product reviews and. A, and sales and a bunch of other things. Um, actually doing drift came out of one of those, too.
0: That was not paid. That was, we did not prep that. <laughs> Feel free to tweet that if you would like. <laughs> At Carol J. Myers, like I said. Um, what, all right, so that that's the, that's the, uh, we talked about, Screw ups. You didn't really screw anything up, but
1: screwed up lots of things. <laughs> so many, I probably can't what, even remember what's them What's your long. what's
0: your what's your biggest uh, what's your biggest achievement like as a as a marketer?
1: Well, I hope my biggest achievement hasn't happened yet. Ooh, that's what I really that's hope. good, right?
0: So it's not Vegas.
1: It's not Vegas. <laughs> um, you know, I'm. I think what I'm actually. It's not like a one thing. The thing that I love the most is being able to come to events like this or be out and about in Boston and see people I've worked with in the past who've had a great career. And I have the, this little thing where I'm like, oh, I hope I was helpful to that. And I um, was able to give them some perspective or skill or anything that helped them move their career. That's what I, I like the most, actually. All
0: right. I've been saving this one because we talked okay. about it. But I think this is more of a lecture to other people than it is. But it's a <laughs> – what is your uh, – and I know the – I mean – What's your biggest pet... I'm just going to read it. What is your biggest pet peeve with marketers?
1: Oh, we are... I said, we're lemmings. We are such lemmings. I love you this. Know? I we're love always this. reading you know, these studies about when to send an email or when to make a phone call or ABM. I mean, ABM is great, right? But... It it's not generally going to solve world right. hunger, and it's probably not the only thing you should be doing in marketing. Usually, you kind of have to do a couple of different things. Yeah, or
0: like just because like you go to an event and and Jana says like go use ABM, it doesn't mean you could just you just go plug it in your business. Right, right? Like, right, right. The example you and I were talking about, which is the email thing, like if if tomorrow we if somebody published an article like. Dear marketers, the best time to send an email is 2.07 p.m. Guess what would happen tomorrow? We would all do Everyone it. Everyone would send an email at 2.07 yeah, was, p.m. Exactly, but to the same sneak, people. Yeah, to the same people. <laughs> um, Who
1: get 5,000 emails.
0: So, yeah. so, so the, so, like, everybody is following the lemmings, right? We
1: all, we all, you know, one year it was inbound marketing, but most of us are probably still doing inbound marketing, but it's kind of fallen out of favor now. <laughs> yeah.
0: Um, all right, I want to transition. So we're going to do Q&A, but I have some, like, of the the Tim Ferriss-type questions. Don't worry. Yeah. Um, what books have had the biggest influence on on your career, or like if you you know if you could go buy your your marketing team if you haven't already like I if you could look. buy them a book?
1: So I'm gonna probably say something that maybe is kind of mean to authors. I like books. I read a lot of books, but. I think you know too often people read a book and they're like, "This is great. This is the this is the playbook. If we follow this, you know, we're going to have the most successful company that ever happened." And there is no playbook. I think every company, every situation is totally different. You learn things out of them, but they're they're not a playbook. So books that I like are the Heath brother books, um, Made to Stick and Switch. I love uh, Dan Ariely's Predictably Irrational. I think it's hilarious, and I think it's a good read because I think we all think people make rational decisions. We're like, oh, if we do this, they'll do that, and people don't really make rational, which well, is why marketing they're works. <laughs> <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> which is why marketing works, by the way, because people don't make rational decisions, which I think is good. And then you know, there it's it's a really old book, but I think there are elements of it that are still true, which is the Jeffrey Moore series on. Crossing the chasm, and if you're building a business, there's elements of that that no matter what, just seem to stay true. Who,
0: who are your like, who are your marketing role models? Like, if you if you you know you're, you're about to talk to your team, or you want to get people to think about something differently, like who are the role models that you're pushing it towards? Whether that's people or companies? or Well, brands? I brought
1: you into talk to them. You did. That was you a lot did. of fun. She grilled. She
0: grilled me. It was. It was.
1: You were one of our role models. It was I, role, wait, you know, wait, finish that. I'll be honest. You finish are, what you're you're role model. Oh. you were saying. You were a role model. You are a role model. You were a role model. Um, I think some of the best marketers are actually CEOs. David Cancel's a great marketer. He's all right. For sure. <laughs> uh, out of doubt. Uh, you know, you look at, I mean, you may like like him, you may not. Mark Benioff is a great yeah. marketer. That's
0: actually one of the, the book that we talk the, about the most is the Behind the Cloud, the, the story. Just like the things he did,
1: Amazing. marketers don't
0: always think like that. But he right. just was like, let's show up in an event and just hijack the whole thing. Yes. Like just un- completely non-traditional things. like.
1: Elon Musk, great marketer. Um, Love it. uh, Richard Branson, great marketer. And, of course, uh, Steve Jobs was an amazing marketer. So I often think CEOs with this incredible passion are the best marketers. All
0: right. I'm going to change gears on you. Okay. What unusual habit does Carol Myers have?
1: (laughs) What unusual habit. I don't know. If, if, if it's a habit to me, then I probably think it's usual. <laughs> what unusual habit do I have? Um, like you love I, celery or I something? Re- I, don't I don't really love celery. I like quinoa. Um, <laughs> I do uh, get up and I have to have a workout every morning. Or, and in fact, one morning I didn't, and my assistant told me to never do that again. <laughs> she said, whatever you do... Do not come in if you haven't had your workout.
0: She's like, whatever you didn't do this morning, you don't. She was like,
1: I think it was like, who does those commercials for the Snickers bar maybe or something? I think I might be that.
0: (laughs) I'm trying to picture like what your alter ego was in that point.
1: I don't even know, but it was obviously scary. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Um, I'm stealing this question though because I'm going to ask it to you. In In the last five years, what have you become better at saying no to?
1: myself and my inner voice that says this is a bad idea and listening to to every idea that people propose and really making sure I try not to judge before I just kind of let it sink in. That's something I've really been working hard at. So like
0: if somebody presents an idea to you or something or like you try not to
1: sleep
0: on it? Now my
1: team says that I say, Oh, that's very interesting. So now I'm trying not to say that's very interesting. I'm gonna give you. I'll give
0: you a hint. That's my boss. Yeah, I'm gonna. Everyone is gonna agree with me right now. His thing is, he goes cool. <laughs> <laughs> if he says cool, I'm like next. I gotta have more ideas.
1: So I'm not gonna. Say, I'm trying to eliminate that word from my vocabulary. <laughs>
0: All right, uh awesome. I did we not do you want to talk about anything else before I open it up to QA? A? Well, I'm uh, sure we'll get some good things. What do we what do we not?
1: I'm glad about? you didn't ask me any of the interview questions, so that's good, like job oh. interview questions. So yeah, we can open it up now. Yeah. <laughs> there were yeah. some on there, I was like, that's like a job interview
0: question. See, I didn't even use those. I copied and pasted those. <laughs> don't worry. Dave, this one's directed at you, I don't want to put Kevin Oh in this boy. We're in a room full of marketers, And most of us understand there's um, uh, liability related to um,
1: advertising claims. Oh. Relative to a- advertising claims.
0: This was described as a fireside chat. <laughs> Where's the fire? Well, it
1: was. You Did saw you see slide. it on the screens? It was on the screen at one point. Uh, Maybe we should put and that And you back.
0: heard the sirens, like, the whole time. <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> you are on the
0: hook for this, Dave. All right.
1: Carol brought the heat. Woo! Oh,
0: all right. We look. Don't. I'm gonna go. I have so many questions from people on my phone that they sent, but I would love to get to the people that are in the that are in the room. So. Yeah. Hi, Carol. Hi. Uh, I'm gonna steal two questions. One, what separates a VP of marketing from a CMO? Oh. And what advice do you have for women who want to become more senior leaders in their field?
1: Oh, those are good questions. What separates? I. I don't. I'm not sure. So on the first one, I'm gonna cheat a little bit. Um, one has three letters, and one only has two. Um. You know, every company is a little different and I do think there's title inflation. Like we want we, we all want to be a chief now, right? Chief is the best thing. So Or like if you see like a, <laughs> if you see
0: a 10-person startup, everyone's 23 and they all have C-level titles. Absolutely.
1: You're like, eh. <laughs> So everybody's chief, chief of themselves. So I don't know if there's a huge difference. I think that the biggest difference is typically you might be a VP of a part of marketing, whereas a chief marketing officer should generally be responsible for everything to do with marketing, from product marketing to the brand to the demand generation and strategy and all those things. And your second question was, oh, advice. I think that, you know, I actually just came from the Mass Women's Conference today, too. I think the most important things are um, to have a voice, to um, have confidence in yourself, to try to make sure you don't just focus on getting things done and results, but being part of the strategic conversation and picking your head up and um, focus a lot on Good delegation and developing people. I think those are the really big, important things. So with such a diverse background, finance, sales, marketing, what are some of the ways that you have successfully or unsuccessfully reached across the aisle to align with sales in order to devise campaigns and grow? Uh, Those are good questions. So... I have a really good relationship with most of the sales VPs I work with. We still see each other quite a bit. I probably work more now with our uh, COO and a little bit less on the real campaign things. But I think the most important thing is I try to make sure that everyone on marketing understands how hard sales job is and that our job is to help make their job easier. Sometimes people say, well, salespeople get paid a lot more money. and And I always say to people... If you want... You can pick up a bag and you can you can dial, you know, the phone all day too. I mean you definitely can. And I think that salespeople should have that same appreciation for marketing people and the hard work that they do and the, the stress and pressures they have. And I think when you understand that and you have shared goals, that's the most important thing. Like what are we trying to accomplish together? Trying to understand where salespeople are struggling, like what's not working, where why aren't they winning more, why aren't they finding more, and trying to think creatively about how to help them together. I think those are the most important things. I think having a shared view of the market, the goals, and then you can, you can figure it all out. But an appreciation for each other is, I think, at the core.
0: Uh, Carol, thank you, for, thank you for the great
1: comments so far. Um, you're a super well-credentialed, qualified, experienced individual. And to your point previously, when you were talking about David Cancel and you know, the uh, CEO being a marketer, why have you now chosen to be a CMO instead of a CEO? Do you have an opening for me? Huh. I'm just kidding. She said. <laughs> <laughs> well,
0: I, 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 I imagine it's not for lack of either offers or opportunities. That was a, plan, that was a planted question because she said, when I asked her her biggest achievement, she said it hasn't happened yet. So that was a planted <laughs> question. Who no, is it's that? a
1: it's a it's a good question. Um, I thought a lot about doing it. I'll be honest. I thought a lot about do I want to go do that? And usually, it's when I feel like, hey, I want to build a great culture, and I have a different view of the strategy, and I should go, you know, do my own thing. Um, I really, I love what I do, and I, um, I like um, partnering with great CEOs. I still might do it, but not, not not yet, I guess. And no one has been beating down my door yet. So, <laughs> so if you know of great jobs, let me know. <laughs> Sorry, Jenna. Hi, Carol. I'm actually also a Lotus alum, so I I do remember a lot of the stuff you are talking about. Um, But my question is, it's it's great to see that you're serving on a number of boards. What can be done uh, to bring more representation by women on boards? There is a lot happening today. I don't think we necessarily see it in the numbers as yet, Um, but there is a really big... um, initiative to do that. And I think part of the problem is traditionally where people have searched for board members is for CEOs. And there aren't very many women CEOs. So, you know, you're not necessarily going to get a lot of women on boards. So what I see happening is People are looking for different kinds of skills now. So CFOs, there's there's women CFOs more so, I think, than CEOs. And they're always in high demand for, um, for boards. But people are starting to say, well, we don't need everyone to have actually run a company. We need other kinds of skills. And sometimes it's technical or it's marketing. And so as companies start to do that, I think you'll see more people of Color uh, women getting onto boards as it as it should be, and there's a lot of activ- activism going on as well. You know, State Street Global Advisors, for example, who's an investment company, um, won't invest in companies unless they're making strides on diversifying their boards. So I think we'll I think we'll see some change.
0: Let's uh, let's do one more. I'm sure there's some marketing teams of one here. If your team went from 50 to one tomorrow, what would be some marketing tactics, that uh, wow. tactical things that you would focus on?
1: Wow, that's a tough question. <laughs> um, I, uh, I always feel like I say this too much. It depends. Well, because it really depends on what it is you're marketing and selling, right? So the most important thing is, and I when I started at Unica, I kind of was a team of one. There was one other person there. So it was really, okay, so it was a team of two. And we just had to kind of figure it out. So really knowing what's the most important thing I can do to reach my audience. Like you guys do a great job with social, for sure, right? And marketing people use social a lot, right? So that is a that is a great vehicle because we're all on social all the time. So kind of knowing um, what kind of product you have to sell, where your buyers are that they might want to learn about your product, and then kind of focusing there and getting a few wins and growing it, I think, is the most important. know, I mean, it's not really a simple answer. <laughs> but I think demand generation is, after you know your strategy, demand generation is the lifeblood, right, for getting
0: started. I'm sure people will uh, have a bunch more questions and swarm you in two minutes, but uh, please give it up for Carol. Thank you so much.
1: Thank you. 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 See you. <laughs> <laughs>